Welcome to another episode of I'll Be There For You, a podcast about pop culture and coping. I am your host slash producer slash snack mom, Lindsay Ennett. And on every episode, I talk to someone I admire about a piece of pop culture that has gotten them through a difficult time in their lives. Why am I doing this? I love talking to people about the things they love and about the ways they uh, just self and community care and contextualize the world around them when things are literally on fire. If you love the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, but also care deeply about climate change as you should, this podcast is for you. My awesome guest today is Lauren Pace. She is a dear friend. She is a current nonprofit professional and former theater kid, one-time professional stage manager, and a former YA bookseller. So she's worn many hats. Her biggest constant in life has been being incredibly passionate about things within pop culture and with fandom. She's spent a majority of her early to mid-20s on Tumblr writing pieces on fandom and ran a successful, which is in quotes, but (laughs) I'll ask you to unpack that momentarily, One Direction blog for close to two years. And how do you define success in terms of running a One Direction fan blog? As much as I know numbers should not be important, it was the only time on any social media I've ever had a big following. I think at its peak was like 8,000 followers. And I purposely structured a blog that was all about positivity and the music and none of the drama because the One Direction fandom is full of drama and terrible fighting. And I wanted no part of that. Walk us through a little bit about what was going on in the fandom at the time that was the impetus for you to launch this blog. I started it right after Zane left. And so I called the, the blog, departure of Zaddy, the, the departure of Zaddy. I, I named the blog the four almighty um, because there's a one direction song called the girl almighty. And I was like, there's now four members, the four almighty. I thought I was clever, but everyone was fighting. The Zane hardcore fans were intense and the future of the band was in question. And I needed One Direction so badly at that time that I was like, I can't deal with any of this. I need a blog that is just focusing on, hey, they're still coming out with music. They're still touring. They're still doing good things. Let's do that. And no one else was making that blog. So I did it mainly also because I was still living at home. I was working in retail. I had the time and it was great. What was going on for you that in your life that you feel like you really needed One Direction at that time? I was at the point where it was my mid-20s. All my friends were getting that career-starting job or finishing grad school. They were getting into relationships, getting apartments. I was still living at home, could not get a full-time job to save my life. It just was not happening for me. I applied like crazy and just nothing was working out, so... I loved working at Barnes and Noble and running the YA department because I'm a big YA fan, but it was still, I was, it was then crazy hours. I wasn't able to have a social life. I was still in the suburbs. So I just really needed something that made me just forget all of that. Um, so getting into One Direction just happened organically. It was a few years into their lifespan and I just fell so in love with their music and their style. And it's funny because I liked that at the time they were like the anti-boy band um, with the like no choreography, no flashy outfits except for Harry. They 
seemed to get along. Although now that it's been years that they haven't been together, I'm realizing a lot of that was not really as it seemed. And, you know, covered in tattoos and their music had a rock style. It was just different. And having grown up with NSYNC, I was drawn to something different, especially as an adult. So boy bands have are actually what the topic you wanted to bring in today, mm-hmm. and they've always been uh, a constant for you. So let's let's go back to the beginning and and talk about your in sync years. Oh yes. Um. So we kind of grew up in the prime time of in sync because I think they became big when we were like in fifth grade. Because it was sixth grade that I remember having 300 pictures of them on my bedroom walls. Um, <laughs> 300. 300. I, I counted one day. And yeah, it was when I, you know, I'd print out all the pictures that I would get off the slow dial in internet um, and <laughs> print them and have them all over my walls. Sweet, <laughs> sweet pixelated JC Sose. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and I remember I had like a VHS tape of like a day in the life of InSync that I watched like every night before I went to bed. My dad would record on the VCR all their TV appearances, everything from like when they were randomly on Sabrina the Teenage Witch to TRL, you know, just their Disney concerts. I was obsessed. They were the second concert I ever went to, first being Spice Girls. And I loved them so much, but I remember... It was like towards the end of sixth grade as we were getting into like the bar bat mitzvah days and starting to feel like more like teenagery that I was like, oh my God, this having all this on my walls is so stupid. This is what little kids do. This is not for teenagers. But then my first dance at my bat mitzvah was still to God must have spent a little more time on you. And I have no regrets. <laughs> Regret nothing. And did you did you find yourself getting into conflict with people who preferred the Backstreet Boys or 98 Degrees or? I don't remember that happening a lot. I did also have a 98 Degrees poster on my wall. And I had a friend that every time she came over, she would grab a pen and write 0.6 on that poster. <laughs> and it was eventually covered in whiteout. <laughs> like, I just, I remember that. But I don't remember a lot. I think I actually have more arguments of NSYNC versus Backstreet Boys now than I ever did back then. Honestly, same. Um, I was partial to NSYNC. Uh, my wife, Una, who you know very well, was partial to the Backstreet Boys. So <gasps> House divided. It is a house divided. <laughs> yeah, I find like I'm having these arguments more and maybe it's like the nostalgia thing. Yeah. And Nick Carter is trash. But that's yeah, for another day. <laughs> that's That could be a, an entirely different, different episode. Yeah. I mean, looking back on it now, when you were making that conscious decision, like to yeah. tear all the NSYNC stuff off your wall like little part of you like miss it I think so because I remember back then too it's so different to think about being a fan had nothing besides for getting those pictures off the internet there was nothing to indulge in online there was no Tumblr there was no Twitter there was no YouTube videos conspiracy theories that it was just enjoying the music and the TV appearances so it was like a much simpler time to be a fan because it was also but it's in a way too it's also a little sad because 
I was just enjoying them like by myself in my room with pictures all over my walls. Like I had friends that liked them and we would like, you know, dance to them and make up dances in our bedrooms. But I don't remember having like a friend that was like my in-sync buddy. You've been pretty invested in, for years now in looking at and engaging with fan communities online and, and seeing those develop. Mm-hmm. Do you remember a community like a fan community that was like your first foray into that? I, the first time I remember reading what I realized now was fan fiction was in eighth grade when I found a story that someone wrote about hanging out with the members of Incubus. <laughs> so band Go fiction. Band, band fiction. fiction. Yeah. I don't remember the details. I definitely don't think it got like smutty or anything. But I just remember like, because that was when like, it was probably on like Teen Open Diary or something like that. <laughs> Ooh, that's a new one. We've talked about Zanga and Live Journal on this podcast before, but Teen Open Diary is a new one. Yep. I, it was probably on that. Um, and yeah, I just remember it was someone writing about like, as if they were friends with the members of Incubus. It's so weird now that I think about that where I'm like, why would I read that? Like, this is just so, it wasn't really a story. It was just like, we're hanging out and they're playing music. And, and then I think the first like somewhat fandom that I really got into online was Queer as Folk, especially because that also could be a totally other conversation because that was like, Nobody understood what I was, why I was into that. So I really needed that online community. But it was definitely as I got into One Direction, even some Broadway, but One Direction and then now BTS that I was like, I need this online world because otherwise this is very lonely. And do you find, did you find in the One Direction fan community and later now with BTS, there were, did you find a lot of people kind of in your similar situation of like mid 20s kind of at a crossroads and? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Especially like running that One Direction blog. I, my favorite part about it was just talking to people from all over the world. Um, and I would have a lot of people be like, you know, I'm I'm in my 20s. People think it's super weird that I'm into this. Or even people who are like, I'm in my 30s or 40s, or I listen to it with my kids. People definitely, I think, also look for a community of not only fellow fans, but fellow fans in their age bracket. And because, you know, fans enjoy boy bands, especially different ways when they're young and a teenager versus when they're an adult. Like, that's not to say you can't find them attractive as long as they're legal age. But like women should be allowed to say that younger guys of legal age are good looking. Notice the first <laughs> mention of Zane, I referred to him as Zaddy. Yes. <laughs> and like, thankfully, I've been I got into all of said boy bands while they were 18 and over. But I think like women especially look out for people that are in a similar situation. And like I became good friends with people in the One Direction fandom from all over the world. And being at the concert, I remember being at Soldier Field and just looking around and being like, these people understand me. <laughs> do you are do you still keep in touch with some of the folks you met through your blog today? Um, some of them. One, my favorite thing is that when I kind of like ended up shutting down the blog because I really thought naively that when One Direction said we're taking a short hiatus, it'll maybe be 18 months. I thought they were coming back. And I re remember I wrote on the blog being like, I'll be here when they come back. 
but now it's like three years later, four years later, and they're not back. So at one point, though, I logged back into that blog and I wrote a thing being like, you know, I've kind of lost some hope here. But in the meantime, I've gotten really into BTS. So if anyone else is, and someone messaged me and was like, oh my God, I love them too. She lives in Australia and we talk like all the time. And it's interesting because then we get to like compare BTS things to One Direction things. And we both realized that we found the group that we wish 1D could have been. Can you expand a little bit more on that? Mainly in terms of how the members interact with each other. Um, Because BTS is seven members. They were also put together randomly, like how One Direction was. But they genuinely love each other and have so much fun together. And like they've been a group for years and they have millions of dollars and they still live together. Whereas One Direction never lived together. They never would fly to concerts together. It just like their, their onstage personas were friendly and fun. But I think like we would kind of convince ourselves in the One Direction world that they were closer than they really were. And now it's like shocking anytime you see two members interact with each other, but they have not been in the same room for three years. And they're all trying to break out and have solo careers. Mm-hmm. So what first drew you to BTS? And maybe for the five people listening to this who aren't <laughs> fr- as familiar with BTS, who are BTS? <laughs> so <laughs> BTS or Bangtan Sonyeondan, which in Korean means Bulletproof Boy Scouts. And apparently they also now say BTS stands for Beyond the Scene, but I do not know one person that calls them that. They are a technically considered a K-pop group because they are a... Cor- a Korean produced group. They come from Big Hit Entertainment, which is one of the smaller K-pop group, uh, K-pop companies in Korea. Um, they are made up of seven members, which feels like a lot at first, but then you realize they're all really necessary. Um, <laughs> it is four vocalists and three rappers, and they're amazing. Nobody's the Chris Kirkpatrick. No one is the Chris Kirkpatrick. They are all so vital and so important and like really different in their skills and in their talents. And what's great about them is they are encouraged to do solo stuff. So you get to really see how each of them are so talented. And while they technically do have like a main, a lead singer and a lead dancer and a lead rapper, it's pretty evenly distributed, like their songs and stuff where you kind of forget sometimes that they technically have that structure. So once again, no one is the Chris Kirkpatrick. No one is the Chris Kirkpatrick. Um, And I got into them... Just I remember seeing a commercial for the American Music Awards in November 2017, and it said, you know, BTS is performing the biggest boy band in Korea. And at the time, I have never listened to K-pop. I didn't know anyone else who did. But I saw that commercial, and I went out to dinner with some friends that night, and I was like, hey, like, they're apparently the biggest K-pop group in in Korea is performing on this. Like, I'm really interested. And they're like, that sounds weird. But I went home, and I watched it, and they performed DNA which is such a good song. And I just remember watching it and being like, this song is super catchy. This choreography is incredible. Who are these people? And I still remember I posted on Facebook the video of their performance and I captioned it, why am I super into this? Because there was that voice in my head being like, "This, you don't know what they're saying. Like, you don't speak Korean. You've never listened to K-pop before. Why are you getting into this? But I just kept like, going onto YouTube and looking up more and more videos and diving into the dark pit of BTS 
and fell so in love because I really saw how unique they are, how special their music is. And it it takes a while because you have to learn who each member is and what their songs mean and what they represent. But it is like, it was such a fun experience. And my favorite thing about them that I tell people is you listen to each song for the first time twice because you listen to it and like get a sound for like what it, what this type of song is. If it's a ballad, if it's a pop song, if it's a rap song and you kind of feel like, okay, I think I can feel what they're getting at here. But then you listen to it again with the lyrics translated pulled up in front of you. And you're like, Oh, not only is this a really good catchy song, these lyrics are really relatable. And do they write their lyrics or is it? They do, which is really unique to K-pop because people see K-pop as this very um, factory-made thing, especially because they do have these other companies that just make these artists. And they go through training, like years and years of intense training. And then you debut. And if you debut and people don't like you, all those years of training are for nothing. What's So what's unique about them is the three rappers especially – take part in the majority of the writing and producing of all of their music. And now that the others are becoming more comfortable, they're coming out with their solo stuff that they're writing themselves and they're getting more involved in writing things as a group. And it's really cool because it's and some of them even then are getting interest from artists here in the U.S. wanting to write songs with them. And we've seen some of that already. Uh, They collaborated on a remix of Mic Drop with the Atlanta rapper designer, mm-hmm. the lead rapper and the spokesperson for the group, the leader of BTS, who also is the only one who's fluent in English, also did a song with Fallout Boy. And yeah, there's always like all these artists every time they're interviewed being like, I want to work with BTS. I want to work with them. So hopefully someday there will be more collaborations. But I think they're also really I'm happy that they haven't jumped on everyone that's asked of them because I think a lot of people are also trying to use them. And, you know, with any entity you love, you worry about burnout. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And especially because they work so hard. They pretty much have like a pattern of... Um, they call they call it comebacks in Korea, where like that's when they release a new album and are on all these Korean music shows. Because that's the amazing thing is they're like they have like actual music on TV, like we used to have with MTV, where every week like the music art, television. I, I know what are the odds? Um, where they literally have like all the artists that came out with a new song that week perform it, and then they like it's a competition to see who is the best. So they do like a comeback and then all these TV appearances and then they do a world tour and then they're on award shows and then they take two weeks off and then they do it all again. But eventually, because of the way things are in Korea, they will have to start going to the military because all men in South Korea have to join the military by the time they're 30 and go through two years. So it's also like, I think they're putting so much out knowing eventually at least the dynamics of the group will change because some of them will have to go which sucks. <laughs> what is it like like being so entrenched in a fandom that is so deeply passionate and international but mm-hmm. still in a lot of US communities is still seen as like being super niche? Yeah. When when I say that I listen to BTS, also people assume I listen to other K-pop groups and like I've listened to a few things that have come up, but I'm not as into that I don't get as connected because I think people also just don't give BTS a chance or any K-pop sometimes because it's like the first question I get usually when I tell people that I love them is 
why would you listen to music you can't understand? And then my retort back is, why do people listen to opera? Most people that listen to opera aren't fluent in German and Italian. It's because of how it makes you feel. People sometimes are like, still, it just in general, because it's pop music, assume that that's not like, it doesn't get deep and it doesn't, it's not relatable. It's not emotional. This is not what makes you beautiful. And I say that as a One Direction fan, like they're, especially in the realm of South Korea, they're singing and rapping about things that are very taboo there, especially like mental health and equality and feminism. And it's so refreshing to see these seven young guys focusing on that. That's awesome. <laughs> First of all, I mean, any pop group from anywhere to see them tackle these issues, especially mm-hmm. as seven dudes, I can't picture in sync rapping about equality or about mental health, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think the closest thing we probably got was the It's Gonna Be Me video. <laughs> which is a great video. It is absolutely a great video. Yeah. But yeah, like my my favorite member, as much as I love them all, everyone has their bias as we as they say in the k-pop world he especially has been very open with his mental health struggles and even in his solo stuff like talks about going to a therapist like that's very looked down upon in south korea that is not common and his anxiety with performing and just feeling like he's not good enough but then also how now he's able to like see himself as successful and be proud of how far he's come. And that's a lot of stuff that BTS touches on too, is like being able to admit like, I've been working my ass off and I deserve the what I'm getting now because they went through so much crap to get here. And now they're giving speeches at the UN and going to the Grammys and they deserve every bit of it. Oh man, their speech at the UN was incredible. It was so good. And we'll put a link in the show notes. Yes. Um, and one thing that I love about that speech is it wasn't as random as people might think. I mean, they do some work with UNICEF, which I think was kind of the lead in to them doing that speech. But it was the theme of Nam June's speech was all about speak yourself where he's saying, you know, as individuals, especially as young people, you have to be yourself and stand up for who you are and not be ashamed of who you are and make sure people understand your own personal identity. And the theme of the past few albums and the last tour of what BTS has put out, it has been love yourself and love myself. And even as a 30-year-old woman, sometimes you do need seven Korean guys to remind you like, You should love yourself and it is a journey to do that and don't be ashamed of who you are and what you enjoy. And I'm really glad you touched on that because I I did want to get it. What are some of the things? How has your relationship with this music impacted you and your your day to day? It really has made me... I've always been like, you know, I'm going to be proud of the things I enjoy and not take crap from anybody, especially like during the One Direction days and stuff. But this time especially, I really have like put my foot down if I get any comments. And that ranges from my family, who I love dearly, to my friends, my coworkers, because people are very quick to just not get it. And I just have really learned from them, especially to just like really not give a shit what people think. Because like you said, it's not hurting anybody. It is just something I enjoy. It's good music. And it really puts me in such a good mood, especially because K-pop is a separate type of music um, because it is this mixture of pop and rap. 
And we don't really have that in the U.S. There isn't really an artist that does that or at least does it well. (laughs) Um, Pitbull would like a word. (laughs) And it's also the not just the music, but their performances are unbelievable. The core and like me who grew up going to dance classes and loved watching things. So you think you can dance and just anything with dance, seeing especially seven guys dance really well, proudly on a stage is really cool. And so it's like, I love listening to the music on the train and watching the videos on the elliptical at the gym and then reading fan fiction when I get home. Like there's all different things to enjoy and it's all really happy and positive. So talk to me about the fan fiction because this is an area of fan fiction we've talked a little bit of, a little bit about on this podcast of the world of RPF mm-hmm. or real person fan fiction and what kind of go through what kind of goes through your mind and again this is not coming from a place of value judgment mm-hmm. but and this is coming from someone else who is um again we've talked about RPF on this <laughs> or real person fiction on this podcast before when you're reading you know fictionalized accounts of these guys that you idolize and kind of see in in the public eye you know how do you navigate and negotiate the relationship between you know fiction them mm-hmm. and real them yeah it's tough. It was harder with One Direction because with One Direction, a lot of the fanfic out there was um, canon, as you would say, where it was like about them as the members of One Direction. And that exists in BTS, but in BTS, I read more of like the non-canon where it's people just using them as people and their personalities to create stories. So really like I know that some writers will write a story that people really love and then they'll be like, oh, I could actually use this for something and they'll just change the names, kind of like a Twilight and turning into Fifty Shades type thing, actually, but well done. So I do read more of that type of stuff in BTS fan fiction. But what I think makes the fanfic world of BTS so unique is there's seven members and to me personally, there is no wrong ship. There is no wrong pairing because them in reality, like their relationships with each other, they love each other so much and get along so well, even though they're all really different from each other. In One Direction, especially when it was just the four of them, they're, you pretty much, it was just ship wars all the time. Oh, dear. And it was horrible. And you also can't really like talk openly about who you ship or what you're reading because people will come for you. And I don't know if this also happens in the BTS fandom, but there was, you know, we talked in uh, Hannah Bowman's episode about the Larry conspiracy and mm-hmm. people coming at family members with erotic fan fiction that they had written about mm-hmm. their grandson. So. <laughs> Yeah, you don't see that as much in BTS, especially because what I do really like about them is they have no personal social medias. It's only just as a group, really just mainly on Twitter. Of some of them, their siblings, you know who they are on social media, but otherwise, like their families are so out of the spotlight, which I think is so great. Um, so thankfully, there's none of that. And I mean, there definitely are, there is a level of ship wars in the BTS world, but I think also, and that is from the canon and people seeing how they interact with each other. Cause that's also the really interesting and strange thing about them is they're very touchy feely with each other. Like you watch videos of them, especially hanging out and just like being best friends. 
And coming from a country that has a lot of issues with homophobia and like does not have same-sex marriage, they're very comfortable with each other. And I do not want to speculate on who anyone might of the group might be attracted to. That's not my place. Some have made comments that they are very pro-LGBT and don't necessarily side with what their country may say, but they have to be a little vague about that because, I mean, the president of South Korea uses them for a lot of attention. They have boosted the South Korean economy. So while they are very outspoken on things, they're very cautious, but there's definitely no part of them that holds back from like hugging and kissing each other and being all over each other. And that helps, you know, people get inspired for good fan fiction. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, even the outside the shipping and outside of the, you know, particular cultural context of whatever the political situation in South Korea is, Mm -hmm. and I'm not an expert on that by any means, but I think just in general, no matter where you're from, toxic masculinity is a problem Mm -hmm. everywhere in the world and in all kinds of circles. And to see men, regardless of their sexual orientation or whatever's going on in their personal lives, showing affection towards each other like physically verbally Mm -hmm. you know whether as friends as bandmates whatever i think there's something really powerful and really beautiful about that absolutely it it really is that like they they're on when it's one of the members birthdays they're all tweeting about how much they love him and they're so close and it really is that like they don't care about the whole guys aren't supposed to show affection for each other and say like there's no like, yo, bro, like, you're my bro. There's none of that. <laughs> nobody's nobody's putting a no homo disclaimer on they that. They really aren't. And like, I've even had show, you know, I've had experiences where I've shown friends or family like a video of BTS. And I've had people say like, they look like girls, which I'm like, A, that stemmed in some racism. And B, there is definitely some like sexism there because they are not bro-y guys like some of them are very in touch with their feminine side with like one of them is an incredible modern dancer and so the way he flows and dances is so beautiful and there but that does not make him girly and they are also like very good looking and korea has very strict beauty standards and the guys have expressed you know kind of feeling like pressure from that And but like just because they might like they wear makeup on stage like any artist would does not make them like, oh, those guys look like women to be a beautiful a man being beautiful does not make him feminine or does not make him a woman. And also a man can be feminine and that's fine. Yes, a hundred percent. Oh, man, you're (laughs) you're really so you're really selling me on BTS, first of all. Yes. The thing that really in, intrigues me still is this like boy band through line mm-hmm. and, you know, we're in our early 30s now. <laughs> and like, how do you react to people who may discredit like someone for being in their early 30s and being very invested in a boy band? I just call them out for their ageism. I'm like, first off, why, why do you care? that I'm 30 and I like this. And I also make the, I think a lot of the ageism also comes from sexism because I often make the comparison of when I say to people, you know, I'm a big Cubs fan and my family spends 
money every year on the season tickets to the Cubs games and we buy the merch and I have the Cubs stuff in my apartment. I got a big World Series thing. No one questions that. No one is like, oh, you're a 30 year old who's like super into baseball and like donate and does a lot of time and effort and money into that. No one cares about that. But when it's a boy band, then people are like, wait, you're into that? That's weird. And I'm like, what is the difference between cheering at a, a baseball game, wearing the shirt and, you know, spending money on those tickets versus cheering at a concert, wearing the shirt, spending money on those tickets? Like they're, it's this, it's seeing guys doing what they're good at out in a public space. I've never thought about it in those particular terms, but I think also the ageism and sexism factor definitely rears its ugly head when you talk about it being Mm -hmm. a boy band that we're still so dismissive of certain artists or certain genres of music because the primary demographic who consumes it is teenage girls. Mm And I think people don't realize that it's without girls of any age, those artists and their companies that support them and their managers, everyone would not exist. They would not have money if it was not for women, if it was not for women of any age, buying the concert tickets, downloading the the albums, buying the merch. They would not have jobs if there were no women. That's a good point. (laughs) Also, the Beatles were a boy band. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) It is very true. And one thing I always kind of then like to say to people when they, you know, give me some slack for, or not even give me some, you know, pushback when I say I'm a 30-year-old woman that loves BTS, I'm like, give them a chance. Like, here's some songs and videos that I can recommend. Even like my personal trainer I told him about them. And so he let me play some songs for him while we were working out. And he's like, oh, I might add some of these to a playlist for a class I teach. And I told him one thing that's really unique about them is over the past like two years, all of their music videos tell a story like going together. They all tell a continuous story that is now also being told through a webtoon, like a webcomic. And it's all, it's a really dark and deep story. Like it's actually like should have some trigger warnings on it. And so like I told my trainer that and he was like, wait, I got to check that out. And this is like a mid twenties, like fighter guy. And I'm like, yeah, you should check that out. Cause it's really cool. And who else is doing that? Who else is telling a story through their music videos? Like, it's unique and it's different. And when you do actually listen to their lyrics, like one of their songs, they wrote because they were inspired by an idea from a modern philosopher. Which (laughs) philosopher? I don't know his name. I can't remember his name, but it's this book and this idea of what they call a magic shop, where it's you turn in your worries and get something positive. Mm. So they introduced it to us through, they kind of do like a comeback trailer where we see them going up to this counter and giving an object that was seen in previous music videos because it's a story. And in turn, they get something back that's something positive. And so they wrote a song called Magic Shop, which is all about how they as a group want to be that something good in the fans' lives Like they want us to be able to put our anxieties and our worries aside and listen to them and just feel a little better. And that's to me just so nice. And I also have never seen any artist love and respect their fans more than they do and genuinely mean it. And how do the fans engage and treat, engage with and treat each other? They're, I think people are pretty good. Like in any fandom, 
you will see fan wars and you will now always going to be those people that like to start fights and cause problems. The biggest issues that I see in the fandom is actually most people coming together to try to stop the very hardcore stalkers that are mainly in Korea. That's a big known problem in K-pop of like people getting their airplane information, their hotel information, where like if anytime someone finds that someone is doing that, it's like, okay, everyone, here's the professional, like here's the way to report it to their company. It's not like you don't go and bash that person on their social media. You report it and let them take care of it. And so it's nice to see like people coming together and doing that. And you see people becoming friends. Like when I I went to two BTS concerts in October and – I just like the second night, especially like my friend and I were just like talking to all the people around us. We're trading Twitter handles. We're getting to know each other. It was the most like welcoming space. And both nights I just looked around and was like, this is the most diverse crowd I've ever seen. And not, I'm sure not a lot of people in that room spoke fluent Korean, but everyone is singing along. Everyone is dancing. Everyone was smiling. It was such an amazing experience and a lot of people on twitter after they went to the concerts were saying it kind of felt like they like blacked out because they don't really remember the concert well and someone who was like a psychologist or neuroscientist or something explained that when you're feeling like that just really intense joy and euphoria you're so in it that you actually like can't fully process it. You don't remember it. It's funny because <laughs> this actually, this exact phenomenon came up during the, when we talked about the Thank You Canada tour. Mm-hmm. I, yep. I remember listening yeah. to that and thinking about that. The joy blackout. Yep. It is real. And it totally happened to me at both shows, which is why I'm very grateful for YouTube fan cams and the fact that they are coming out with a DVD of that concert so that I can watch it over and over and over again. <laughs> One thing we like to ask everybody who comes on the show is, uh, what is something outside of pop culture or fandom that you do to practice self or community care? I go to the gym. I've recently gotten really into working out over the past like two years. And to me, that is the best stress relief, which, but there's a part of it too that is also pop culture related because I love being able to put my headphones in and listen to music, typically my BTS workout playlist because I have one, and really just feel like I am focusing on making sure I'm doing everything right so I'm not hurting myself and not thinking about anything else. And then I work for a nonprofit that I'm very proud of, does a lot of great work in Chicago. So it's nice that even though my job can stress me out sometime, I feel like I am doing some part to better the the community of Chicago. Awesome. Lauren Pace, thank you so much <laughs> for coming on this podcast. Uh, is there anything on you want to plug? Anywhere people can find you online? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at LaurenJP68. Um, I mainly tweet about BTS. Great. And occasionally, you know, I'm retweeting some political things, but I have found that BTS is my escape from the garbage fire that is politics and the world and especially Twitter. So I am very glad that my feed is mostly just clips of seven guys just being really fun. <laughs> and loving on each other. Yes. <laughs> Aw. Lauren Pace, thank you. This has been another episode of I'll Be There For You. We put out new episodes every other Sunday to help you beat those Sunday scaries. 
Um, we are on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Please listen, subscribe, follow uh, the pod on Twitter at IBTFYPod. Uh, you could also email with any feedback, questions, if you want to be a guest at uh, I'll be there for you pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much and take care. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.